Evening Church. My name is Koketo, to those who do not know me. Uh, today I'll be reading our Bible scripture for the day, and we're taking it from Romans 8, verse 12 to 17. I'll repeat, Romans 8, verse 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then is heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And this is the word of God. Good evening, church family. It is always a pleasure to be together and um, to see some old faces, some new faces. And uh, it's always encouraging for me. When you, when I, when I come down and I see old faces because they're still faithful, and when I see new faces because the family has to grow. So it's very encouraging, and, uh, uh I always, uh, am happy. And, uh, I want to thank the leadership of the church. I think, uh, David was also in charge of the evening service for allowing me to share the word of God with you, and, um, we'll be in the book of Romans. So if you will have your Bible, turn to that uh, passage, Romans 8, 12 to 17. We'll come back to it. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we will uh, return to that passage. Father, we thank you that you have called us to you, and you are changing us from the inside out. As we come to your word, we do acknowledge that we come with a lot of load. There's worries and cares and fears that may distract us from hearing your voice. So we pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us, that in a special way that only you can do, you will show us the beauty of Christ and will leave this place ready to serve him again this week. In his name and for his sake, we ask this. Amen. Amen. If you know one or two things about me, you'll probably notice that I'm not South African and that English is not my first language. It's funny, everywhere when I travel, sometimes they say, you have a South African accent, and I'm, I'm not South African. Right. But anyway, so that's, how, that's how South Africa has kind of become my second identity because everybody thinks I speak English like a South African. But I learned English. I learned English uh, at a relatively older age, actually. And believe it or not, the first English novel that I read was, it's become since a movie, a novel by a man called Robert Ludlum. And if you read novels, you know. And it was called The The Boon Identity or Born Identity, I don't know. It's become a movie with Jason, I think it's called Jason Boone now. There's a Boone, Boone trilogy. So now imagine somebody who doesn't really know much about English with a thick book, thick English book, trying to get through it. The truth is, I never really got anything. I just, you know, 
hang in there and just kept reading page after page, thinking like, when I finish, I'll get something. I like to say that it, it did help in growing my vocabulary, even though I didn't really know. But there's something interesting about that book. If you have not read the book, you probably have seen the movie. There's something interesting about the movie. This man wakes up one day and he doesn't know who he is. Now, I'm told it's called retrograde, retrograde amnesia. That's what I'm told. He doesn't know who he is. And so basically the whole movie, he's like trying to figure out who he is. But the problem is he was a very dangerous man and so his life is a very dangerous life. So people are trying to kill him and the poor guy doesn't even know why they're trying to kill him. I got here in front of me two articles that I've pulled out of the internet. Now you can pull anything from the internet. Now the first article is from a guy in Cape Town. It's called Bertus Preller. So he he looked at a study that was done by the Barna Group, and I think it was a 2012 study. Now I'm not going to read just a section. This is what he says. Although many Christian churches attempt to dissuade its member from getting a divorce, the research confirmed a finding that was identified by the Barna Group almost a decade ago that born-again Christians have the same likelihood of divorce as do non-Christians. So I understand from this that what he's really saying is in South Africa, he found exactly the same thing that they found in America. That those who call themselves born-again Christians have the same rate at divorce as non-Christians. Now, understand, there's a lot, it's very complicated, it's not easy. But the point is, there's no difference between Christian and non-Christian on the divorce scale. Then there's another one by Christianity Today. That's August of last year. And it's about giving. Here's what it says. It says, in another study, 2017, the Barna Group found that age makes a significant difference in giving. 84% of millennial, I think I'll be a millennial, who knows, reports giving less than 50% to charity per annum, even though charitable giving ranks high on their priority. The most generous generation, the most generous generation in the 500 $2,500 range is Gen X. And the most generous generation, over 2500 is comprised of those older than baby boomers. Now you try and figure out where you stand. But it will be easy to blame our material-obsessed culture, but Christians fare no better when it comes to giving. Christians fare no better when it comes to giving. Marriage will like the world. Giving will like the world. Now, if I went to Galatians 5, 20, 22, and you know the gift of the Spirit, I'm almost sure that if we have kind of some form of meter to measure the world and the church on patience, on love, on kindness, on joy, I think there would probably not be any difference. Now, I don't live here. And so it's, so I can say stuff like this. But I think Christian, <laughs> Christian live in fear just like non-Christian. And they want to run out of this country just like non-Christians. Christian complain about money just like non-Christian. And they, 
So, so, so the point is, where is the difference? How do you explain the statistics that it feels like there's no really difference apart from the fact that one group says they're Christian and another group says they're not Christian? But when it comes to all the other criteria of life, all the other points, it's the same. And sometimes worse. Actually, the article says the Christians were worse in terms of marriage. There was 33% divorce rate with Christian and 30% with non-Christian. In this passage, Romans 8, you may even say the whole book of Romans because it's such a great presentation of the gospel. Paul would say, the reason there is this retrograde amnesia is because they've forgotten who they are. It's because Christians have forgotten their identity. And I think that's what he's saying here. That you've been going through the Romans 8, and Romans 8 will be almost like a summary of the whole book of Romans. Um, and so by going through it, you may get a good idea of what, of what, what Paul is doing. He picks up even on some of the application that he'll start uh, talking about in, in, in chapter, 10, chapter 12. But, but basically what he's saying is, you're different. Remember you're different. Remember your identity. You are sons and daughters of God. You are heirs of heaven. That's who you are. And let that identity impact every other thing you do. And by the way, if you find it hard, guess what? God has provided a helper for you. The Holy Spirit. And what that Holy Spirit does, it it reminds you who you are. And it gives you strength to live up to who you are. And I'm hoping that that's what will come out of this discussion this evening. I'm hoping that when we walk out of here, we'll remember who we are. And for some of us, it may just be a good question to say, am I really a child of God? Or am I not? And when the Spirit, and it says here, the Spirit himself speaks to our heart and tells us we are the children of God. And if the Spirit testifies to your heart that you're a child of God, I hope that when you go out to work tomorrow, you'll be like a child of God. And we'll try and look at what that means. Now, I don't mean to have all the answers. We'll just try and, and touch on a few things. But it just means that there must be a difference because of who we are. Not for the sake of difference, but because of who we are. So the passage has, uh, I've broken it down in two sections. I mean, you can break it down in as many sections as you want and as much time as you have, but I don't think I have much time uh, to give you one full hour sermon. So I'm going to break it down in two sections, and the last section will be a kind of an application. And I will, I will flip the text around. Right. So just bear with me. I'm going to flip the text around. So we'll start with verse 14 and verse 17, and then we'll go to verse 12 and verse 13. So from verse 14 to verse 17, Paul is saying, you are sons and daughters of God. That's your new identity. That's who you are. And then in verse 12 and verse 13, he says, since that's who you are, then you are obligated to live a life that is reflection of who you are. So sons of God, 
the new identity of Christian, verse 14 to 17. Debtors to the spirit, the call to holiness, verse 12 to 13. And I was given a title, it's called Empowered Life. So we're going to find out what that will mean in terms of application. So if you're writing down, that's that's the breakout. Sons of God, debtors to the spirit, the empowered life. Verse 14, read with me. I think I should do this, right? Verse 14, read with me. This is what it says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Very clear, verse 14, isn't it? For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, of course, the word sons will include boys and girls male and female, and so you may say sons and daughters of, of God. Um, remember, again, the Bible was written many, many years ago, and they will use the masculine to describe, uh, you know, uh, to children, and particularly in this in this case, it talks about hairs, and in that culture, uh, you're male with the heirs, and that's why they've, they've picked it up. But how did they become children of God? Did they make themselves children of God? It says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as son, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I want want you to notice something quickly here. Notice he says, you have received, and he says, by whom we cry. Have you noticed that? So he goes from you to us. Notice he says, you have received the Spirit. And it is the Spirit, he says, who makes you. That's what he says. But you have received the Spirit of our adoptions. Now, there are many other passages in the Bible that comes back to this idea. Now, if you come with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Now, I know it by heart, but I'm just going to find it better if I read it, in case this version is different from what I I know. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, that is children who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Those who received Jesus became sons and daughters of God. Not by blood, biology. Not by man's decision, but by God's decision. We find the same thing in Galatians chapter 3. So if you want to go a little bit with me, Galatians chapter 3. Same thing. Oops. Right. It's not my normal Bible, but it's fine. There we go. 
Galatians chapter 3. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, here according to the promise. The concept of adoption is an important and essential concept of understanding the gospel. The gospel, which is good news, is not just that your sins have been forgiven. It's not just that you were lost and now you are found. And it is that your sin has been forgiven. And it is that you are lost and you are found. It's even more than that. It is now you have a new status. Now you are a child of God. If you have put your faith in Christ. If you have put your confidence in what Jesus did on that cross. If you have accepted that on that cross it was your sin that he bore. If you have come to a point where you say, I know I could not have pleased God. Now you've read that before in Romans 8. What we were not able to do by ourselves, he did. So if you've come to realize that I cannot make myself a child of God. But I know that when Jesus died on that cross... He made me a child of God. That's what Paul's start. Romans, Romans 8 verse 1. When you started, it says there's no more condemnation. Why? Because you have a new status. You are children and daughters of God. Is it because you've done something? No, it's because God has adopted you into his family. And, and the term is... He, Paul is writing to the Romans, and the Romans will understand this. Now today, of course, we, we still adopt people, but it's not the same way as they used to do in the old time. In the old time, the, the father of the family, what they will call the pater the familias, the, 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 the person most important in the family, will go and, and do a legal process to say, that is our child, that is my child, he'll be my name. And from that day onward, they will not refer you anymore to so-and-so. They will call you by the family name. No matter what your history was before. No matter where you came from. From that moment onward, you become the child of the family. And even better, you have the same rights as the biological children of that man. They'll not come one day and say, ah, yeah, you, you were from that different mother. No, no, no. You have the same right. And that's why it says in verse 17, if we are children of God, we will inherit the kingdom. We're not just heirs of God. It's not like God is going to say, okay, this is your portion. No, we are co-heirs with Jesus, fellow heirs. This is, yeah, this is mind-blowing, isn't it? I know how bad I am. I know what my goes on in my head 
I know what, how bad a person I can be. And I am so often. And yet it says here that if I've put my trust in Jesus and what he did, I am at the same level with Jesus when, he, when God looks at me. And I did nothing. That's why it's called good news. It's because you get everything for free. Now, I like free things. But you, you don't get this kind of thing for free. And yet we get it for free. So it's almost like you stand there and you say, okay, what must I now do to like look like a child of God? He says, nothing. You're already a child of God if you have put your trust in Jesus. Now you may look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and not believe that, but that, that's not what makes you a child of God. If you have put your trust in Jesus... You're a child of God. Now I get often get asked this question: How do I how do I how do I know what what that trust is? What because when we use the word faith, it becomes very complicated, very religious. How do I know what that trust is? Here's my answer: Why do you sit in the chair you sit in? Why are you sitting in that chair? Because you trust that it can hold you. I'm sure if you tr- didn't trust that it could hold you, you wouldn't sit there. If it was a little bit wobbly, you wouldn't, would you sit there? And it's that simple, isn't it? When we put our trust in Jesus, we're saying, everything you say, we believe it's true. And based on what you say, we're going to adjust our life. And I looked at that chair and I thought, mm, it can hold me. I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to trust you. You say I'm a sinner, I believe that. You say you've forgiven me, I believe that. You say I'm a child of God, I believe that. And I'm now going to live my life based on that. If you're here this morning, and you have not come to that place, let me encourage you, while we think and talk, and I'll get a time to pray at the end, just say to Jesus, Lord, I want you to work in me, to trust in you. I want to start a new walk with you. And I know you've done everything so that could be called your child. Now help me to trust you. But if we're children of God, he says, then we're debtors to righteousness. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live accordingly to the flesh. What he's not saying is, and there's something assumed here. So if, if I don't owe David money, probably I would owe Dudu money. Now I didn't know Dudu would sing that well, so I told her that she's a woman of many talents. Um, I'd never seen her sing before. But we're not debtors to the flesh. Why? Because we've become children of God and, and the Spirit has freed us. Now you talked about it the previous week. We have been freed by the Spirit from the chains of sins and darkness. Now we are free. Free to do what? To live for righteousness. To live for a new king. Galatians says, it's for freedom you have been set free. God has taken away the chains that kept us prisoners so as we can start living for him. Now, don't think I watched too many movies, but I have watched this one. It's called Princess Diaries. It tells you a lot about my choices, right? But it's a nice story, isn't it? I don't know if you've watched it, but here's the story. Simply, a little girl, she's sitting somewhere in the U.S. and finds out that she's a princess. 
or some funny little kingdom in Europe. And the whole movie is she's asked to come back and live as a princess. And she's struggling because she's used to chewing gums, and as a princess, you're not supposed to be chewing bubble gums. And you're not supposed to wear jeans as a princess, and you're supposed to wear high heels as a princess. And, you know, and she's learning all those things. And that's, that's what it feels like, the, 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 the Christian life. He says, we're already children of God, and therefore we are debtors to righteousness. We are already princes and princes. We are heirs of heaven. And so we are called to live as such. And it's hard. And it's difficult. That's why the last verse there, verse 17, he says, if you suffer with him, you will live in glory with him. It will be hard. It will be difficult. In a world that we live in, it will be difficult. It will be hard. It may just mean a lot of suffering. But we are not debtors to sin anymore. That's not what we ought to be doing. Now we're free. And even goes further, isn't it? He says, verse, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, sometimes, I think this is how we read this passage. We see, we read it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Is that how it says? Is that what it says? Did I miss something? What did I miss? By the Spirit. You see, God has given us his Holy Spirit to help us in this new phase, new journey. There's no way we're going to learn to live as God's children if we're not empowered by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that teaches us. And in the little movie, there's some, someone who takes the little girl over and she, he's teaching her. He's teaching her, this is what you do and this is what you do. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Works in our heart. And helps us to live as children of God. So what we've seen is we, we are children of God. And if we're children of God, then we must live as children of God. You can't live as a child of God if you're not a child of God. And, and, and all the papers are read, all the articles are read, it's because the truth is our churches are full with people who have not come to know Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. That's why we struggle to live as children of God. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna move into some form of application. If you, if you, if you're unsure of where you stand with Jesus, listen in. But start with making sure that you are a child of God. Because this thing will kill you. It will be heavy. But if you know that you're a child of God, you also know that it's hard, it's difficult, but guess what? I have the power of God in me. I have the spirit of God in me. And it will help me. And one day I'll look just like Jesus. Why? Because of my work? No, because the spirit was working in me to Leave according to my new status as child of God. So what would an empowered life look like? What is a life empowered by the Spirit? So, I mean, basically I'm doing the application. It is somewhere between those two movies I mentioned. It's somewhere between Jason Boone's life and the princess Diary. You see, there's a preacher... 
English preacher called John Owen who says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's what verse, verse 13 really is saying. If you don't live by the Spirit, what will happen is sin will kill the life of God in you. So Jason Boone doesn't know who he is. And guess what? He's living a very dangerous life. But if he knows who he is, he's able to understand why his life is dangerous. And that's the whole point of the movie. Is at the end he now gets, oh, okay. So I was a, I was a spy and I was this and I was that. And therefore it makes more sense. It will be very difficult for us to live as God's children if we don't understand our identity. If we don't understand that we're children of God, it will be very difficult for us to live for God. Now, first of all, we don't live for God because we need to live for God. We live for God because we are children of God. It's what I call a passive active reality. Now, I know it's weird because either you have the passive voice or you have the active voice. Either you're doing it or it's being done to you. But unfortunately, when it comes to this matter, it's both, isn't it? It's the spirit. If you, if you, it says there, verse, uh, verse 13, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Did you notice that? The spirit is working. And guess what? I'm also working. It's passive because the spirit is working. It's active because I'm invited to cooperate with the spirit. And so it's important for us to understand not only that we've been gifted with the spirit to help us in looking like Jesus, but it's important to understand that the spirit invites us to cooperate with him. He's working us. And we need to cooperate with him. Now I'm going to take one simple Kind of chart. So at Christchurch Midrand, we are a redeemed. Redeemed family, servant on mission. Let's talk about family. How much of a family are we compared to the world outside? Now, I come from family strong, family ties are very strong. But at some point, we have to decide what is our real family. So it's interesting. Jesus, you know, people come and say, your family is outside. And what does what Jesus say? My family is those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, I'm not saying you stop being a member of your family. I'm not saying you stop seeing those families. The question is, are we really a family? Or are we acquaintances like David mentioned? <laughs> And if we're family, what's our dynamics in a country that is segregated over race, over tribes? Now, our, my country has 450 tribes. That's official. What will the church look like in that country? You see? It looked like a revelation. All people from all nations. But how are we living? How are we letting the spirit influence us Individually and corporately. So as we will be the reflection of that family that God wants us to be in Midrand and in South Africa. It may just mean that you're dropping your guard a little bit 
Because you grew up your whole life and they told you that guy and man black there is a very dangerous man. I mean that guy there with glasses. And then you drop your guard. Why? Because you're now part of this new family. And when you struggle, you ask God to help you. Why? Because you know the spirit is working in you. Redeemed. Bought with a price. Our old life is gone. We have a new life. And there's a whole list of stuff that would fall under redeem, right? They redeemed you from alcohol, from drug, from... There's a whole list of stuff. But how are we living this new redeemed life? So we talked a little bit about generosity and about divorce and... Are we different from the world? Have we been redeemed? Has those chains been broken? Or are we just like everybody else? So you see, the empowered life would mean that we're different. And there's lots of points you can take, but we're different. We're not different for the sake of difference. We're different because, because God has created us a new life and we're his children. Servant. How is our identity influencing how we're serving? Are we even serving? And you can serve with your money, you can serve with your time, you can serve with... But are we even serving? Now let me just go back quickly, because I forgot something. When we talk about family... Now... I know you all go on holidays and to meet your family. Is that optional? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But you look forward to it, isn't it? Why then would church be optional for you? Now, I'm not saying it in a legalistic way, but I'm saying if this is really your family, why would you say, I don't feel like going to church today? Wouldn't you be looking forward to going to church, to a small group? Wouldn't you be looking to join this new family? And within that family, serve. On mission. It always amazes me, but it feels like Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. It feels to me like we always look at it as a suggestion. It's almost like if you have time, if you can, then go and make disciples. So how are we doing when it comes to missions? How are we doing when it comes to helping others know Jesus? It may even be small things like just saying hello to that person at the door every day when you go to work so as you can build that bridge and who knows what God will do. It may be as little as you praying. For that person across your desk, that God will work in them. It may also mean that you are always be the guy saying, hey, why don't you come to church with us? Look, we've got Martin Morrison speaking on live on Saturday. It may, it may be stuff like that, but it's all of us. Why? Because we're children of God. And therefore we live by the Spirit. 
And if we don't live by the Spirit, you know what's going to happen? The world will kill that life slowly. So we've got a choice. If you're a child of God, you've got a choice this morning. And I hope you make the right one. Let's buy it. Paul reminds the Romans, he also reminds us, that our salvation, our adoption into the family of God, that's what he reminds us of, that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we have a duty to live in accordance to our new status. We cannot live as people who are amnesic, who don't know their identity. We know our identity. We are children of God. And how do we know it? Because the Spirit tells us we're children of God. And if we're children of God, then we must live as children of God. And he knows it's hard, and he tells us, God did deliver us to ourselves. He gave us his Spirit. So if we ask, he will help us. And even when we don't even ask, he's still working in us through his spirit. The question is, will we join him? How will that change your life this morning? For some of us, it will mean we start a new journey. For some of us, it will mean today, tonight, we call God our Father. For some of us, it will mean today we say, Lord, help me live the life that you have granted me as your child, as your son. Father, we come to you this morning, this evening and we do recognize that often we live according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. Even as your children, we do recognize that we have this amnesia, this spiritual amnesia that we forget who we are. And so when we go out there into the world, we don't shine, we mingle we get diluted, we adapt. So help us. Help us to really this redeemed family of servant on mission. So when we go out there, we understand that we belong to you as member of your family, that we have been redeemed from the sinful life so as we can live for you, that we are here to serve not only one another, but to bring that lost world to your to you, to a knowledge of Jesus. Now this may mean different things to all the people here. Each and every one of us, it will mean different things. It may just mean that we start praying more often for the person we work with or for our family members. It may just mean we start inviting them. It may just mean we learn to say no to some sin that we've been part of. It may just mean that we start being more bold in our decisions, because we trust you. And for some, it just means that today is a new day, the day where they become, they realize that they are your children and they start a new life. But for all of us, Lord, help us. In Christ's name, we ask this. Amen.